Well, DC is covered in snow today, and it is a snow day at the Heritage Foundation. So we're going to bring you an interview that we recorded previously with Phil Robertson of Duck Dynasty. And I hope wherever you are, that you are warmer than us. Well, joining us now by phone is none other than Phil Robertson. You know him from Duck Dynasty. He's out now with a new book called The Theft of America's Soul, Blowing the Lid Off the Lies That Are Destroying Our Country. Mr. Robertson, thank you so much for taking the time to call in. Hey, good to be with y'all. So, there is a lot of uh, stuff that we could get into in this book, but I want to ask you, what initially led you to write it? If you read the various texts and uh, and the... Uh what befalls the human race, no matter what government they're in or what time frame they're in. It's pretty amazing that if you look at at mankind's problems and you read writings from 2,000 years ago, the days of the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was the, was the empire of the world. They ruled the earth. And these Bible writers, when they wrote to them, various things, admonitions, warnings. Well, if you fast forward 2,000 years, take like uh, Romans one twenty-eight, because they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And then there's a list there. And the list is as follows. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. He ends it up, they disobey their parents, they invent ways of doing evil, and he ends that little section up by saying they become senseless. You think about a human being who is senseless. He's writing to the people of Rome, senseless, faithless, no God heartless. They'll kill their own children and and say, we've done nothing wrong. And they're ruthless. Well, you read those texts, and I said, you know what? The sin problem that the Roman Empire had is no different than the sin problem that America has, or France, or any England, or anywhere else you want to go worldwide. So the sins are the same, my man. The solution is the same. So I would just simply say I wrote the book because I looked at what the founding fathers of the United States of America said, whatever happens, don't lose your religion, because if you do, your morality goes. I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, whoa, and then there goes your virtue. It's gone. I addressed all these things in the book, and finally there's a collapse. Therefore... Just viewing the Roman Empire, you say, what happened to it? It's no longer there. It's no longer a world power. We are. So amazingly, these these empires come and they go. They rot from within. Their sins weigh them down. And we, uh, we miss a couple important things. How about uh, loving God and loving each other? Now, they're saying we can do this without God. Love will be there, and the United States will heal itself without God. I am doubting it. What do, you, what do y'all think? Well, we're, we're, I guess we'll see on that. But, um, I mean, I certainly share your beliefs that um, God is necessary for the culture. 
Um, in the book, you write about 10 lies that are in American culture today. One of them is that God is dead. How does that lie impact culture in your view? When you look at the Center for Disease Control latest report, 110 million Americans are suffering from a sexually transmitted disease. You're like, whoa, that's one out of three. And the list of those diseases are long. You say, they all follow the diseases. Immorality. I mean, that's why how you get it. Well, the biblical view is uh, one man marries one woman, and you better confine your sex to each other and don't sleep around, and you won't get a sexually transmitted disease, and it's far more safer and far more productive at the end of the day. So you look at that and you say they appreciate a husband and a wife who fear God. When life comes comes and the gift is given to them, their sons and daughters, that's the families of America. You have procreation taking place coming out of a marriage. A man marries a woman, there's sexual intercourse, there's fertilization, there's gestation, and there's birth. Well, why in the world would you ever intervene and slaughter your son, your daughter? Those are just a few things that have befallen, that befalls any empire or any people when they forget God. So that's my answer to that question. You say, once you get God out of the way, look out because it, it turns into a killing field. I mean, 60 million aborted babies, the murder rate on the streets of America every year, mass shootings. You're like, what in the world? Biblically, the biblical view is they belong to the evil one, and that's why they murder. They belong to the evil one. They don't love their own offspring, their own offspring in the mother's womb. We say, no, I'll just take them out, kill them. That's a, that's a sad day for our current situation. I'm just trying to remind people, love God, love your neighbor, love your children. Be thankful the gift of life has been given to you. I, I, you know, basically, I love them enough to tell them that's the premise of the book. Well, one of those uh, ten lies that you talk about in the book is uh, this idea that truth is relative. Um, yep. What are some of the ways you see that playing out right now in America? Well, amazingly, the Bible speaks of you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So here comes God in a human body, born of a woman, predicted 5,000 years before it happened, the offspring of a woman will crush the evil one. Well, throughout the Old Testament, all the prophecies, one after the other after the other, what his name would be, where he would be born, what he would do, he would die for the sins of the world. This is hundreds of years before it ever happened, thousands of years, all these predictions. Jesus is coming. Genesis to Malachi, Old Testament. Jesus is coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, beginning in the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Jesus is here. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, y'all can look at him. America can look at him, investigate him. What did he say? What did he do? When asked concerning the truth, Jesus' reply was, I am the truth. And here's what I'm fixing to do. Remove your sin, his death on a cross. Raise you from the dead. That's three days after they killed him. Stayed 40 days to convince them he was alive and that he had pulled it off. Think of that. The two great problems all humans have is sin. We violate the law. That's what sin is. Law-breaking. Jesus comes down, removes that. All your past ones removed. No future one counted against you. And resurrection from the dead. You call that a gift from God, life and immortality for crying out loud. Look, that's the story of the events that happened, biblically speaking. And you're like, well, good night. I didn't hear that till I was 28. I heard the truth that sets me free. You say, sets you free from what? Sin. Uh, guilt. Law. The grave. You're like, whoa. So that's the story. I'm 72, and I came to the knowledge of that truth. The truth that sets you free is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I just told you what it sets you free from and who was the one who did the setting free. It'd be Jesus. So you look at that and you say, well, these old guys are running around hollering about Jesus, you know, and they're pointing us to him and saying, "Uh, your sins will be removed. Your guilt will leave. Your guilt will be removed. You can uh, be raised from the dead. You talk about health care. There is eternal health care. And the kicker is, it's free. (laughs) Unlike man-made health care, all it can do is give you a temporary reprieve. But physical death is a problem. I'm 72. Y'all are not as old as I am, but car wreck, heart attack, cancer, a lot of ways we die, but we're all going to die. If there is no God, and if this story is not true, we're never getting out of here alive, ever. Unless unless you two have a better story, I'm all ears. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, even though I'm a bit younger than you, I certainly try to live every day knowing it could be my last. Um, yep. I think it's a good way to live. I'm telling uh, you. So I wanted to ask, you were very frank in the book, and you talked about your own period of sexual debauchery and sleeping yep. around. How did that affect you, and why did you leave that lifestyle? Well... I underestimated, and at the time, I didn't know that verses like this one, 1 John five nineteen. We, we know we're the children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Texts like 2 Timothy two twenty four, 24, uh, people are taken captive by the devil to do his will, which is murder, rape, robbery, pillage. I was under the control of the evil one until I was 28 years old. I earned a couple of degrees. It didn't help me with my sin problem, and it certainly, no, none of my college professors came up with any kind of story about being raised from the dead. I never heard a kind word about Jesus Christ while I was being educated. Once I was educated, 
and I was a heathen and a rank one. It was the 60s. Y'all got to remember. You say the sexual revolution or whatever they call it. It was just a sinful revolution, basically. I run upon Jesus at 28, and I said, whoa, wait a minute here. Life and immortality? <clears throat> How in the world did I ever miss that? So I investigated him, and I said, you know what? Historically speaking, rock solid. I know he was there. Too much evidence. I know he was there. The question is, was he who's, was he who he said he was. The more I investigating, the more I said, you know what? This is the only thing I've ever found that offers me hope beyond the grave and immortality, eternal life. So I said, I'm all in. That was at 28. I'm now 72. Now I am absolutely convinced he was who he said he was, and there is a way off planet Earth all that's required is we hear the gospel, his death for us, his resurrection. We obey it by going to a pool of water, and by faith, we die to sin. The old Phil Robertson is gone, and the new one is here. So you talk about a dramatic change. You know, the irony of it all is the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. You know what he was doing before Jesus he was converted. Jesus struck him down personally, walking down a dirt road. He was murdering the children of God, killing them, murdering them. That's the dude that Jesus picked to write most of the New Testament. Just think about that. So I never got into murder, but I I was certainly immoral, got, getting high and getting laid and getting drunk, that's for sure. Here was a murderer, and he wrote most of the New Testament, and my thinking is if he could save him, he certainly can save a heathen like me or anybody else out there on planet Earth. You know, we go into the prisons, the rehabs, the prisons. We're talking to rapists, murderers. They're in a raw arm robbery, and we preach the gospel, and we remind them, you guys and gals can be under lock and key the rest of your life here, but you can still be set free. So we give them the truth that sets them free, and we go to the next one. Pretty amazing, huh? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Well, Phil, in your book, you, you know, you mentioned a period where you uh, would read the Bible daily. Uh, you know, in America, we we see polling that shows that um, a lot of Christians don't necessarily do that or attend church regularly. Uh, how important do you think uh, practicing your faith <clears throat> daily was? Where we went astray, we got worship tied down to just driving or walking to a structure on the side of the road, a church building. What we don't understand, the religious world, I'm just reminding them here, is that we, the people, we are the church building. We're the building of God. You can read that Ephesians about chapter 3. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we meet, that's just there to remember Jesus and what he did for us, his death for us, his resurrection. We remember that as a group. He said, don't forget this. It's the Lord's Supper. So we partake of his body. We drink his blood, the wine, and we love one another. <clears throat> when we walk out the door from that structure, 
that's when we carry on our worship, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. We walk as Jesus walked, the Bible says, in front of a decadent and depraved world. Hopefully people will say, hmm, how come I never hear you use any profanity there, Rob? I said, oh, you don't have to use unwholesome language. You just can say what you say, but don't 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 get into that. It's a bad reflection on the one who died for us. He never made a mistake, and look what they did to him. Therefore, when we walk as Jesus did on the earth, we in fact become salt of the earth, light of the world. Our our lifestyle, whether we're working, we're on our job, we're just walking down the road, <clears throat> whether we're at play, we always are aware that we're a reflection of the one who died for us and was resurrected from the dead. So worship is one's life 24-7, seven, seven days a week. We're aware of God, and we uh, we do things like love. We have that joy, we're happy, peace, patience, we're kind, we're good, we're faithful, we're gentle, we exercise self-control, no drunkenness, no drug use, no temper tantrums and fits of rage. And when people sin against us, Jesus said, forgive them. Seventy times seven. When they said, how many times should we forgive them, Lord? Seven which is a lot. America doesn't give you about one two, one or two strikes and you're out. <laughs> but with the Lord, he says, look, just forgive the ones who sin against you 70 times seven. So that's the way you roll, and that's what true worship is. And uh, I'm trying to get that, that it's more than going to church. By the way, going to church, that term is not even in the Bible. We are the church. So I'm trying to get uh, the godly in America to understand that. So what would your advice be to parents um, who are trying to raise their children to stay, you know, Christian, and yet often are finding as their kids go to college, et cetera, there's so many temptations to become yep. and lead a more it's secular really lifestyle. It's really difficult now in our culture because, remember, once you remove God from the institutions of, uh, of, of learning, uh, grade school, junior high, high school, institutions of higher learning, colleges, once you remove God completely, teetotally, out of that system, where your children are not going to find him there because it's unlawful, it's against the law to read Bible verses, to pray to God. We've removed God from the education system. That's been about 60 years ago or so. Well, how has that worked out for us? We're like, whoa, they're not going to get get spiritual training there for sure. One day a week going to church, as they call it, that's not going to do it either. Not enough. So with my sons, I have four. Uh, when I raised them, you take the scriptures. All scripture is God breathed. It's God speaking through men who wrote down what he said, write down. You take the scriptures. It, they're useful. Here's the list for teaching, rebuking, don't do that, correcting, try this path. This is a better path. It'll be less troublesome. And training in righteousness. 
on how to be right, how to be good. We take the scriptures and you give them to your children. You obey mom and dad. You obey your teachers at school. You obey law enforcement. We train them to be that way. You're to be a good citizen and a, a patriot of your country. And you are to love God and love your neighbor. You teach them at home. And when they see you, here's dad, loving their mother, there's their mom, in my case, Miss Kay, when my son saw me loving my wife and doing what is right and doing what was good and being loving and all those fruit of the Spirit I listed earlier, love, joy, peace, pay, all those things, they will take that. And even though they go into the school system where there is no God being taught, they're being taught that from from where they their their family once you get in there and the and the family structure the divorce rate and all that we spend thousands of hours with all the people coming out of the broken homes once there's no faithful dad and faithful mom their sex kept between themselves and the direction is not there through through strong family structure once you get to the point we're at now in America, you're going to reap what you sow. Therefore, you had better hold these families together. And God was right all along. Grandpa, grandma, dad, mom, love for your children, discipline, correction, training. Once that gets a, goes amuck, you you end up with what you now have. The rehabs are full, the prisons are full, and they're wandering around and don't know what to do with themselves. And that's where we come in trying to help them. And I'm just I wrote this book so they could at least read it and maybe say, you know what, I'm going down the wrong path. There's a wide road that leads to destruction, Jesus said, and there's a very narrow road that leads to life. And a few find it, he said. So the odds are not good, but for everyone that turns, listen, since that television show, Duck Dynasty, thousands have shown up at one time or another since that time, and we give them the good news of Jesus. We take them down on the river like they did in the book of Acts, like John the Baptist did. We baptize them in the river. We pray and sing a few songs standing on the riverbank. They go back to where they came from, Indiana, Pennsylvania. I've got a woman coming in the next few days. I met her in Pennsylvania. I spoke to him up there. By the way, one of the Amish guys came out of the audience after he heard my little lesson for him, and he asked me, would I come talk to the Amish? I said, I will. So I'm going to do that. The woman is coming here via motorcycle with her man, and she said she wants me to baptize her in the river. I said, well, come on down here. If she's from Pennsylvania, coming by motorcycle, and we're going to go down there on the river, and I'm going to baptize her and, uh, because she asked me to. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So it's pretty cool if you think about it. You know what? That is that is so interesting. Um, you know, in, the, in your book, you also talk about being bold with uh, your faith, not just uh, in those settings, but also in your business, uh, yep. even though some folks ha- have been offended by that. Um, what's your advice to believers who are trying to be courageous in their business or in their workplace, but uh, might be, you know, scared of the consequences? Yep. 
you have to remember, everyone who lives a, here's a Bible verse, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Fact. Blessed are you, Jesus said, when people hate you. Blessed are you when people exclude you. I've had all these things happen to me all the time. You can imagine. Can you imagine the vitriol and the hatred directed toward me? And I'm pointing them to Jesus, trying to get them to love him and love each other. And they are hating me for telling them, we all have sins. Give them to the Lord. He'll take them. He'll he'll give you immortality. (laughs) I'm making the case. I'm loving them enough to tell them. Jesus said, blessed are you when they hate you. They do. Some. Blessed are you when they exclude you. Blessed are you when they insult you. That happens all the time. They bum rush. Sometime I'm speaking, I look up and they bum rush me and cursing me at the top of their lungs. And I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm giving them life and in, 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 in immortality and they're cursing me. And then Jesus said, blessed are you when they reject your name as evil because of me. When all those things come, he said, leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. We, we, it's, it's two forces at work here. It's been here since God made human beings. You have good, that's God, and you have evil, that's the evil one. It's this cosmic struggle that's been going on since God made the human race. Satan was the one who brought Adam and Eve down. That's been passed on to us, that sinful nature. And we all make mistakes. We all sin. Jesus is the answer to it. It's real simple, like I mentioned earlier. It's, a, it's the greatest story ever told. I'm waiting on someone to step forth and top the story. You got a better story, well, lay it on me. So all the atheists and all, I love them, but I say, you know what? It takes a lot of faith to believe salt water, H2O, put a conscience in me, put a realization of good and evil in me, salt water put in me, I can appreciate the beauty of a sunrise coming up when I'm in the duck blind. I appreciate that. The animal world doesn't, but humans do. All those qualities, your conscience, your knowing right from wrong, the guilt that comes when we make mistakes and with the heartache that we have, salt water put that in us? What department in salt water dreamed that up? It's just nonsense. They, by faith, they contemplate, the atheists, and they speculate Well, you can go down that road if you want to, but at the end of the time, when you finally die, you have forfeited the only chance you ever had to get out of here alive. With them, there is absolutely no hope, none, past the grave. You just live your short life here, and you're gone forever. The Bible says there's life beyond the grave. Either way, you've got to have faith to believe it, you got to have a lot of faith to believe salt water created all life and the vegetation we see. I mean, so I'm looking at it saying, I'll tell you what, 
By faith, I understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, all of what you're looking at, the stars, the planets, the, the planet Earth, the beauty of it, what is seen was not made out of what's visible. That's the Hebrew writer about Hebrews chapter 11. He just said you could look around and say, how do you think that all got there? Did it make itself? Or is there a creator behind it? I'm going with the creator because I have a hope to be raised from the dead. And without him, I do not have that hope. So I'm following Jesus to the day they put me in the ground, as I said in the book. It's a wonderful story. And I guarantee you one thing, he promises you peace of mind and immortality. Think about it, peace of mind. That's a rare commodity in America. Too much vitriol and hatred and anger, and they don't even know why. It's the evil one. So it's a cosmic struggle between good and evil. I'm up to the task to reach out to my neighbor. I'm doing my job. Well, the book is called The Theft of America's Soul, Blowing the Lid Off the Lies That Are Destroying Our Country. Uh, Phil Robertson, thank you so much for your time and calling in. Thank you all. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. Each Tuesday in The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. All right, well, uh, we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast, brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or rating on iTunes to give us feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.